Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Think Business Futures Season 2, Episode 2. I'm your host, Max Tillman. I would give a thousand furlongs of sea for an acre of barren ground, mused the character Gonzalo in Shakespeare's The Tempest, crystallising an economic phenomenon that appeals to the darkest corners of our reptilian brain, the security that owned property provides. But while we can pass the blame back to feudalism and Eurocentric understandings of land division, the desire for a home amongst the gum trees has spurred on a red-hot property market in Australia. Predictions in March of last year were dire, with a 30% drop in market value expected across the country. Instead, figures suggest the real situation may be the exact opposite. Auction clearance rates are at an absolute record high, asset prices are through the roof, and first home buyers are leading the charge with a 50% share of purchases over 2020. But with all this hot air in the system, it isn't easy to imagine one enormous bubble. To understand more, we have today's panel, the Real Estate Institute of Australia President, Adrian Kelly, and Harold Schuler is a professor of finance at the University of Technology, Sydney. He specialises in core banking systems and housing finance. Thank you both for joining us. So, Professor, we'll start with you. You've had a pretty good perspective on this. You've seen the pandemic and the effects that it's had on every other facet of the economy. So from your perspective, this surge in demand within roughly a year of the pandemic arriving on Australian shores, did you anticipate something like this would happen? I certainly didn't. And I, I know of many economists and, you know, uh, peers uh, that did not expect it either. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just uh, let's go back into uh, January uh, or even December uh, 2019 or January 2020, when it became clear that we are facing a pandemic where we, you know, the cases would spread and um, the first countries introduced a lockdown. Don't recall the precise dates anymore, but it would have been February, March. Very clearly, it became uh, uh, very early. It became clear what lockdown meant um, that you know businesses wouldn't operate, that uh, employees, key staff had to stay home, and 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 very early uh, it was clear what the consequences would be that um, you know um, companies wouldn't be able to operate anymore and people would lose their jobs. In this situation, everybody predicted. Uh, that would be a severe shock to the uh, real estate uh, prices globally, uh, not only in Australia, but globally, but also, uh, and I shouldn't say everybody predicted, but many people predicted that there would be a shock uh, to housing prices, but also perhaps as a consequence or as a, also a cause of that, um, that people would default on their mortgage loans or their home loans. And, you know, in parts that fear let governments uh, globally pump in a lot of money into the economy. In Australia, we, we, we saw um, the government helping Australians through JobKeeper and JobSeeker uh, programs, um, helping uh, businesses through direct uh, you know, money transfers. It is actually that stimulus in parts that led to, um, call it a, a safeguarding of the national economy. Uh, and at the same time, the reserve banks did their part for Australia and meant that they lowered the interest rates from uh, back then 75 basis points, which is low, to uh, 10 basis points. And on top of that, they um, uh, pursued a policy that's called monetary easing, uh, that basically meant that the Reserve Bank of Australia, like many other reserve banks globally, kept buying uh, uh, sovereign bonds, that is Australian government bonds. Uh, and um, all these consequences, this chief st stimulus from the government, uh, um, um, I think sheltered the economy, but also uh, resulted in um, in very high house prices. 
it was really interesting to watch what was happening last year because there was it was pretty crazy times. Obviously, most of the economists of most of the banks were certainly grabbing some pretty wild headlines. And in fact, one of the bank economists forecast property values to fall by up to thirty percent. And and here we are today, twelve months later, and that same economist is now is now forecast a, a property value increase of of sixteen percent. So um, it was certainly interesting times, and I think. Um, it does go to show the resilience of the Australian property market. And at the end of the day, the thing about uh, a property is that everybody needs somewhere to live, uh, whether it's an owner-occupier or a tenant. Um, thankfully, the um, the unemployment issue hasn't been anywhere near as large as what it was forecast to be. And that's been good for our tenants as well, because um, obviously that issue hasn't ended up being as large as what we thought it was going to be as well. So, But um, yeah, it is a surprise that we're in the position that we are now because um, 12 months is not a very long time and I, and I think really the really the reason why why that's occurred is, is is that in Australia we managed to keep the virus under control look at some property markets in some other countries it's quite a different story and when you look at the fact that we've just come out of the deepest recession in almost a century I believe Australia's economic capacity is roughly about 85 percent it was of what it was pre-pandemic which is a remarkable result for for any country. Do you think that there's an element of panic buying on a grand scale? Because you've already just mentioned that the one thing people will always need is a roof over their heads. And particularly with what happened with the rental market and investors as well, do you think that that frightened a lot of people into locking in a roof over their heads and going to purchase a home as opposed to enter the rental market? What's what's largely driving the market at the moment is, is first home buyers. If you're a first home buyer at the moment and you've still got a job, the rates might as well be at zero and there's plenty of um, incentives which you can pick up along the way, both state and and, from, and federal government incentives. So um, first home buyers as a percentage of buyers in the market in Australia at the moment are back to their highest level that we've seen in the in the last three decades, um, which is quite amazing. So so they're having a really good time trying to buy something because largely investors left the market last year and that was due to all of the insecurity around around non-eviction periods for tenants and that sort of thing. So that'll change as as twenty twenty one plays out, particularly with interest rates being so low, investors will come back into the market. And so that'll that'll bring those percentages back for first home buyers. Um, but you know, there's quite a few other things happening in the market at the moment. We've got a real supply problem, depending on which market you're in. Uh, most, um, um, you know, there's an awful lot of people who would like to sell their property, particularly the older generation, the boomers, shall we say. But, you know, they like to sell their home, but they know that it'll be too difficult to buy something at the other end of the transaction just because of all the demand that's there at the moment. So they're choosing to sit tight. So it's become a bit of a vicious circle for us. Um, but as I say, look, it'll, once we get this virus under control completely and vaccines rolled out, we'll get back to some sort of normality. And if we can Im- improve the supply, that'll be certainly be helpful. It'll solve some tenancy issues that we've got at the moment as well. And then, you know, we haven't even talked about the move to the regions and um, what sort of issues that's creating for us with people getting out of the larger capital cities. But economically speaking, is that... Does that sort of theory have any credence that this fear of insecurity is what can drive such high demand for housing in an otherwise sort of very unstable economic environment? Yeah, so uh, that fear is certainly an aspect, but I would um, say that fear um, relates to, um, you know, maybe the condition of households in general. And so, um, you know, let, let, let be let the macroeconomy and, uh, you know, the uh, the government stimulus and the reserve bank, uh, the interest rates, let that be aside. If you now look into the economics of households, also a lot of things have changed um, 
as, as, a, as a cause of the pandemic. And you know, just to summarize a few key aspects, um, I think households are spending less money, uh, be it on transport, be it on travel, um, or be it on uh, leisure. Uh, and and the, these savings, you know, if you go on to the ABS, um, you know, expense uh, tables, they're usually around the ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollar mark uh, annually for a household, and they that basically led to households, um, you know, having less expenses. At the same time, households did not suffer much of an income shock. And, uh, you know, financially, I would say post-pandemic, many, many households in Australia uh, are better endowed, uh, better endowed um, in their finance uh, to, to, to fund a home deposit uh, or deposit for a house. And uh, that is an aspect. And, you know, um, then another aspect is obviously with the lockdown measures, housing markets were closed for quite a considerable time uh, um, in, in Melbourne and in Sydney. Um, and people uh, did not, um, uh, you know, have an opportunity to buy. And at the same time, uh, you know, the number of properties listed in the exchanges uh, was, was, was very uh, uh, low compared to previous years. And so what we are really seeing here is maybe a fear, not so much a fear of, of losing out, but perhaps, um, you know, um, more drive to catch up, catch up for the opportunities lost in the last year. And so, you know, we, we, we have not seen, uh, uh, we have only seen a fraction of the um, uh, house purchases we've seen in prior years. And so we see that, um, obviously, then there's another uh, dimension to the whole thing, that people are now, um, you know, um, moving out of apartments into houses because they have to work from home, they need more space. So, so there has been, you know, a, a, a lot of activity going on. Now, I would say that fear that you described, that is something that might have just started. Uh, I mean, you know, um, a part of um, what has happened is that house prices in the last uh, month or two have uh, started to increase uh, and, and increase at a quite higher rates. Uh, so, so for example, in um, February, uh, Sydney house prices um, rose by two and a half percent just in a single month. Uh, and if you were to analyze that, that, that would, would be a, a annual growth rate of 30 percent um, if that was to persist for, for the rest of the year. And I can imagine that that's having a very, well, I know it's having a very profound effect on, on regional house prices as well. But on first home buyers, I believe that the figure is 50.4 percent that they've increased their market share over 2020. Uh, does, right. is that is that at all concerning that now first home buyers inexperienced home buyers have now such a, a such a share of the market look not really um I, I think it's more a case of first home buyers taking advantage of the market conditions while they can it's interesting you know let's not forget that uh, most of the banks are still licking their wounds after the royal commission which was held and um, there was some shocking news you know which came out of that royal commission about some of some of the behavior that was going on behind the scenes so we certainly had quite a few conversations with the banks last year around mortgages mortgages which had been pulled and, and also conversations with the Banking Association as well. From those conversations, I know that the banks are super cautious about lending at the moment. So I think a, a naive or an inexperienced first buyer um, is probably not likely to end up in too much trouble because they'll have quite a few extra hoops to jump through um, as a result of that Royal Commission. And do you think that the watering down of responsible lending laws are going to have an effect? I can imagine that watering down those laws is potentially quite dangerous. Well, I think if you're, if you're after a headline, then that's an easy way to get one in the sense that if you, if you talk about watering down uh, responsible lending laws um, in the truest sense, then you're probably on the road for a hiding. Um, particularly given the current market conditions that we're in. 
Um, my own personal view is that those those laws haven't been updated since 2008 or 2009. And, and I get back to what I was saying before about the banks being put on notice since the Royal Commission anyway. Um, whilst I'm not an expert in, in what the proposed laws would be, um, my understanding is that in, in part they would look at um, much more on a case-by-case basis in terms of the actual borrower. And, and, and if that's the case, then then I think that is probably a reasonable path to take, put it that way. A few weeks ago, you said that the market defied the doomsday predictions uh, with median house prices rising across the country in 2020. What was the doomsday prediction for the property market? Well, it it was largely around um, uh, property values that were going to fall by by up to about 30%. And, um, and, And obviously, we now know that in most locations, the opposite has, has happened. I mean, the other the other really shift for us back then, which which was also circling, was um, was was how we deal with our tenants in terms of unemployment. And you know, if unemployment was to reach something like fifty percent or even a bit more, then then that's going to create a very large problem for us. And it did in the early days um, because we did have um, a fairly large cohort of tenants which suffered some unemployment issues, but we also had our property owners as well. Who had some employment problems, so it became a bit of a double whammy for us. And, and here we were, the real estate agent stuck in the middle. You know, it is what it is. So um, thankfully, you know, if you look at the percentage of tenants which were impacted in terms of employment, it, it's certainly no more than five percent in Melbourne and Sydney, inner city Melbourne and Sydney, and that was largely in the apartment market. Not surprisingly, and and out in the other cities and towns around the country, it was sort of less than 1% of tenants. So that was probably our biggest issue, to be honest, rather than what prices were likely to do. People still need to buy and sell property regardless of what the market conditions are. I think we can just be thankful that we didn't end up in that space um, because, I mean, the last thing that a, that a country like Australia needs is a, is a housing market that's on the decline because if that happens, then everybody loses buyers and um, sellers, even, um, even tenants would lose out. Maybe people feel that fear that you described that they're losing out because they say, oh, well, if we wait now a year, then uh, uh, houses become unaffordable or unreachable for us. Um, and, but I think that fear is just starting with that um, substantial increase in housing prices in the last month. Um, and, you know, if March and, and April turn out to be similar, then that fear that you described may, may become uh, even stronger. Mm. And with these all-time low interest rates, they've done a great asset to asset prices. And it's hoped, economically speaking, that these asset prices going through the roof uh, will do the job of making people feel wealthier and therefore spend a little bit more freely. Uh, now, this economic phenomenon is known as the wealth effect – it sounds to me, uh, to the average layman, that these are all the ingredients you need for a housing market bubble. Is that yeah. what you would agree with? Or do you think that there is some credence to the idea that at a time like this, in these really unnatural circumstances, where maybe giving people a little bit of confidence by boosting the price of their or the value of their assets is actually benefiting the economy in the long term. Do you think that maybe that understanding of what causes a bubble is really no longer relevant given the context of where we are? Definitely uh, what you said is um, what you see in the real markets um, is always a combination of theory, call it um, economic theory, but also then often irrational behavior of the markets. And so, uh, and I don't mean irrational in in a negative way. I just mean that it's um, something that resides outside the economic theory. And so this is where economists often struggle to explain what's going on because 
not everything that we observe is, uh, is based on pure theory. And, and yes, um, to a degree, um, this wealth effect that you described uh, supports confidence, consumer confidence, and you know also investor confidence. And to a degree, people spend more, be it for consumption or uh, companies for investment purposes. Uh, that's a good thing for the economy. And you know um, we all would enjoy that. Now, um, the, there's also a downside to all of that. Um, you know, um, to a degree, uh, people do spend more. Uh, prices will go up, and you know um, uh, we have already started that discussion uh, over the past few weeks, uh, especially driven from the US and Europe, uh, where we see a, a substantial increase in in um, the uh, price levels of the countries, and it's in parts driven of um, oil prices going up. It's in parts driven uh, of people, as we discussed earlier, uh, having confidence and spending in the markets, no? and, and despite 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 uh, national lockdowns in those countries. We see prices go up, and these prices go up in excess of the current interest rates. Now, the current interest rates are zero, effectively, and we see now um, uh, inflation rates of one, two, two and a half percent in these countries. Now, um, if the Reserve Bank of these countries is doing what it's supposed to do, but then the next step would be interest rate increases, and this is exactly where then the danger lies. To a degree, interest rates will go up, and this is finance 101. House prices, according to that theory model I just is, is, uh, described, uh, are doomed to go down. Now, and so, the very same way we have seen house prices go up in recent years, um, uh, they may go down, and this is the danger. The danger in the next couple of years. Mm. Now, in the short term, um, exactly that uh, stimulus and and the, you know, uh, the confidence that is important for our economy, uh, but that's only in the short term. In, in, in the medium to longer term, there's also dangers ahead. And, and I think this is um, something that's currently in the media a bit underrepresented. Uh, the Reserve Bank have offered two alleviations to uh, to the current property market. They've said that number one will be that we've obviously had no immigration for the last year. Newly constructed properties that have yet to come on the market. We've touched on it very briefly, the situation in regional Australia, where it's arguable it's having a much larger effect than in the major cities. When we talk about adding more supply to the market, is that going to be realistic in regional Australia or are we just talking about properties in the major metropolitan centres where there will always be demand for them? Well, uh, demand in inner city Melbourne and Sydney for apartments at the moment is, is virtually zero. You know, you've got eight or 9,000 empty apartments in inner city Melbourne, so and probably a similar number in Sydney, um, but it's a bit different when you talk about established homes. So whilst we, we could do with a whole lot more supply at the moment, um, it's certainly not in the apartment market, that's for sure. But this, this move to the regions that you mentioned, um, this is a major structural change to the Australian property market. It's not a fad or something that will pass. The, the move out of the big cities and into the regions was happening before COVID came along and then COVID has just exacerbated it um, because you know COVID proven that by and large we can work from home and we didn't break the NBN. And... Um, um, and certainly renting office space for most companies is, is quite expensive in Australia. So the move to the regions is well and truly underway. Um, you know, even where I live in Tasmania, there's a lot of property being sold sight unseen um, to people who are escaping from the Big Island, particularly out of Melbourne and Sydney. And, but it's causing us problems now because obviously locals are being priced out of markets which were reasonably affordable. 
um, rents are rising. Uh, so, you know, someone who was renting a house in a country town for $250 a week is now paying 400 and that virtually happened overnight. And this gets back to the supply problem that we were talking about before, uh, where over the last couple of decades in Australia, we simply haven't been building enough homes for people to live, particularly in, in, in regional parts of Australia. And, you know, there's no... There's no one quick fix for that. Um, it needs to be a sort of whole, whole of government approach, federal, state and, and local councils. And um, have, a, have a serious look at some red tape reduction around planning. Is anyone worried about a potential housing market bubble or are the current conditions that we're in so unique uh, that the usual headwinds that we'd otherwise use to determine whether we are heading into a bubble, are they no longer relevant? Look, I've, I've been through a few ups and downs, a few cycles in real estate. Don't see this as a bubble. And, um, you know, there's too many other market forces at play. And, and let's not forget, we've still got a pandemic playing out in the background as well. So um, as, as mentioned, for us at the moment, it's purely a supply problem. Um, demand is still high. And in fact, demand is probably a bit stronger than what it was, um, particularly from those, those first home buyers cohorts. So... I think that once we really do get the virus under control and um, and, and a lot of the um, uh, people who are thinking of selling actually do go to market, that'll sort out the supply and that'll dampen some of the demand. There isn't really much interest for apartments. That's at least in the, the major city centres. Um, and that's something that was reflected by the Real Estate Institute. That's something you have said yourself. So people are looking for quality homes. People are looking for somewhere where they can find some level of security, obviously have enough room to work from home and and things of that nature. Do you think that that supply issue can be alleviated by building new homes? Or do you think that that security is what people are maybe looking for in a a quarter acre block, that quintessential understanding of what an Australian property is? So um, Australia has a very low density for uh, for our capital cities and the trend uh, pre-pandemic and, and um, my suspicion is also post-pandemic will be to increase that density through high-rise, through apartments. There's another aspect to that as well, and that's the second part. Global, we only, not only talk about pandemic these days, we also talk about you know climate change and um, um, the transition to uh, from uh, petrol burning to electric cars is one dimension to that. But another very important dimension is also the efficiency of our housing. Usually, um, you can uh, provide much more efficient, energy-efficient housing. And so with that, I think the long run, if we want to uh, uh, keep our goals, um, you know, and um, to be honest, Australians' goals in terms of uh, climate uh, change and, and, you know, energy consumption are quite moderate compared to other countries. But if we at least want to partially participate in that, that means also we uh, need to build more efficient cities. And unfortunately, even though we don't like it so much, uh, that will mean that maybe a larger proportion of Australians will not live in houses, uh, but in something that we today consider as apartments. Now, there are many more many modern concepts on how this could look like, uh, but um, I think the Australia, Australia for the future will look different than the Australia of the past. While Australia's capital cities have spawned millions of apartments over the last few years, the appeal of the quarter-acre block seems to be evergreen. The real issue here is supply. Will buyers be willing to snap up new homes being built? Or will the battle for federation facades and white picket fences only drive prices higher? Once again, thank you to our guests Adrian Kelly and Professor Harry Shule. 
Think Business Futures is broadcast from the studios of 2SER 107.3 FM in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation and would not be possible without the assistance of the UTS Business School and our national broadcaster, the Community Radio Network. You can catch us online as well as listen to some older episodes wherever you source your podcasts. I've been Max Tillman and we'll leave you with a quote. It's tangible, it's solid, it's beautiful, it's artistic. From my standpoint... I just love real estate. Donald Trump, 45th President of the United States of America.